to hear the Hebrew in Psalm 22 sung in its original language. There's something powerful and striking about it. The Psalms mentor us in bold honesty. The name Israel itself means to wrestle with God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when I mentioned that my nephew Rocco Contino won, or got second in the California State Wrestling Championships. Uh, Israel's to wrestle with God. And this is not because Israel like, has conflict with God and then runs away. To wrestle with God is actually seen as a positive thing in the scriptures. When Israel's at their healthiest, when their spirituality is seen as one who engages with God in this intimate relationship of honesty, pushes, pushing back, asking questions, and God says that's okay. In fact, he says that's good. Uh, because you know who doesn't engage and ask questions and process that way? Pets. Pets are not like people. Pets just learn, you teach them, you train them. They can rebel, right? You can scold them for pooping on the carpet. Uh, then they tuck their tail between their legs. But then you go to work and they could drop another deuce on the carpet. They can rebel, but they can't sit down and process why? Why can't I poop on the carpet? They don't process on that level. We do. When we push back, when we ask questions, when that becomes our faith, we're actually showing that we're more than God's pets, we're God's persons. There's a relationship there that's deeper and more intimate than that of one of our pets. We're made in God's image and his likeness with the freedom of who we are to be able to engage with God. And so Israel is the people of God, and they are those who wrestle with God. They were and are a people whose spirituality is wrapped up in argument with the divine, sometimes questioning God in some very bold ways. Check out Psalm 6. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. We don't sing that very much in worship music, right? Oh, Lord, my life is horrible. I'm crying all the time. Everybody hates me. Amen. Uh, This is the worship of Israel. Walter Brueggemann said this, The Lord is the God of peaceable well-being, but also the God of disputatious interaction. That God, the God of the universe, is the God of disputatious interaction. It is abundantly clear throughout the scriptures, and in particular the Psalms, that being proper and pious is not what God wants, but rather what God desires is our honesty, being honest. And this is not only how a healthy relationship with God works, it's also how a healthy relationship with one another works. We can illustrate this by a young couple who are just getting to know each other. Uh, on their first date, they try and make their best possible first impression. And uh, she gets all fixed up, best outfit, best makeup. She tries to act as intelligent and as well-mannered as possible. He also tries to be sophisticated. He shaves. He puts on deodorant. First time in a long time. He looks in the mirror, you know, does the double take. You know, he, he, he making sure he's looking good and he's sophisticated. And if the, and if the first date goes well... They begin to wonder if the other person likes them because of their impression, right? Because they have it all together. They're, they're sophisticated. They're proper. Uh, 
Is, is the relationship based on a false first impression, wondering what the other would think if they knew truly who the other person was. And so he makes the first move, and he says something along the lines of, you know, you probably think I'm a very sophisticated person, and I am, right? He says jokingly. And then he lets his guard down a little bit. And he says, well, I wasn't always this way. In fact, I used to be quite awkward, and I was afraid to talk with girls. And then he waits. He doesn't do anything else because he wants the girl to say something like, oh, I'm glad you told me that because years ago I wasn't so, you know, sophisticated and put together either. Actually, I wore braces and I felt very ugly. That kind of statement means that he's accepted for who he confessed himself to be and this relationship could then go a step further. And on the next date, he might confess something a little bit more intimate about himself. Eventually, as they go through the dating process, revealing more and more of who they truly are, not just the presentation of who they are. There is this deep desire to, inside of us to be fully known. And in a dating relationship, it's okay to hold back and not reveal everything on that first date. Because we don't know what the response will be, so we can hide part of ourselves. But with God, we know what his response will be. Grace. That's his response to the deepest parts of who we are. This biblical concept of lament could be put this way. This will be on the screens. Don't censor your prayers. Open your heart in prayer. Don't censor your prayers. If you feel it, say it. I've been married almost 13 years. And there are times in life when I'm not in a good mood or I'm upset. I know that's hard for you guys to picture, but it's true from time to time. Uh, And when I'm upset, Sarah knows. And I hate this about her. She'll say, what's wrong? And I'll go, nothing. Nothing's wrong. And she's like, I can tell. And she can tell for a lot of reasons, mostly because I'm more distant with her. I don't open up. I use short answers. And when I'm not honest with her, when I say nothing's wrong or I'm not actually angry, I'm actually cutting off intimacy with my wife. I'm not being honest or authentic. I think I'm fooling her, but I'm, it's, I'm mistaken. And when we're not authentic, we actually lose that intimacy with God. If she can tell, can't God God already knows. It's not like you can have this question in anger towards God, and then he seems distant from you, and then you put on a front and you pray, oh, gracious, loving Father of light and goodness, thou art loving and ever-present in thouest life. (laughs) He already knows that I've got big questions for him. I should probably just tell him. Rather than fooling God with the charade, I'm actually distancing myself and losing intimacy with him. No, if you feel it, cry it out, pray it, say it, yell it, just don't keep it in. The Psalms declare this. Keeping it in might keep you within the safely bound walls of religion and religiosity, but that is all. In reality, it is a recipe for a lifeless religion, not a life-giving relationship. Take a look at Psalm 88. This is the beginning of the psalm. This is not even verse 1. This is just the intro. It says, Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music according to Mahalath Lehanoth, a maskil of Heman, the Ezraite. 
I think we have a picture of He-Man here. Um, <laughs> He-Man is in the body. He wrote this song. And if you're under 30, you don't have any idea who this person is. And you are missing out. He was a master of the universe. In this psalm by He-Man, it starts off positive, okay? Look, look at verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Good. Fair enough. It's positive. He's happy. Now, most of the songs start with questions, accusations, and complaints, and then they end in praise. He-Man goes the other way. He starts with something kind and nice and praise, and then that is the last hint of positivity throughout this entire psalm. Uh, he says this, continues, day and night I cry out to you. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Amen? The word of the Lord. He-man's going through some stuff, right? Now, we don't know much about He-man, is actually his name in Scripture, uh, but he's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. We don't know much about him, but he is mentioned. In 1 Kings, uh, the author is describing how wise King Solomon is, and then he says this in chapter 4, he was wiser than anyone else, including Heman. So he was known for being wise. In Chronicles 15, it tells us that he was a minister in the temple, that he was a worship leader. Heman was a worship leader for the people of Israel. So the photo I showed earlier of Heman was wrong. He more than likely looked like this, Okay. <laughs> This is a professional artist rendering of what He-Man might have looked like. He was wise. He was faithful. He was a leader. How could such a holy man be inflicted with such suffering? Hear this. Suffering happens to even the most holy of people. The blessings of faith are often forged through the fire of sorrow and struggle. The darkness that you experience is not a good way to measure whether or not God is pleased with you. Your degree of faithfulness and holiness does not correlate to the degree of suffering in your life. Your degree of faithfulness and holiness does not correlate to the degree of suffering in your life. We are not people who believe in karma. We are a people who believe in grace. If stuff's going down in your life, it's not like you did something a long time ago and God's just getting you back. That's not how it works. That's not who God is. Psalm 88 and many of these psalms were meant to feel them more than to think through them. It is intentionally visceral. Did anybody get uncomfortable when the author of the scriptures here 
accuses God of so much wrong and pain. The Psalms not only teach us how to feel, but where to bring our feelings. It's beautiful. That's the truth. It tells us that no matter how you're feeling, God is the place to bring them. And it's okay. Doubts, questions, feelings, they're, they're essential in lament. And they can be a doorway to, to new spiritual growth. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and I remember one particular time uh, after a worship service, I had a high school girl come up to me, and she, she says to me, she says, Pastor, I'm going through one of those stages where I don't believe that God exists anymore. Can you pray for me? The redemptive irony is amazing, right? Her asking for prayer demonstrated a faith that coexisted with her doubts that God even existed. Although her doubt is not that rare in Christians, her brutal honesty really was. So I applauded her. There's no pretending. The most spiritual people I know are the most honest and most authentic people that I know. They walk in communion with the Lord. And even when they doubt that the Lord's with them in that moment, they continue to pursue Jesus. Let me read another lament. This time, this prayer wasn't written 3,000 years ago by a guy named Heman, but rather it was written just 30 years ago by Mother Teresa. She writes this, Lord, my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love and now become as the most hated one, the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer, no one on whom I can cling. No, no one, alone. Where is my faith? Even deep down, right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd in my heart and make me suffer untold agony. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Powerful words. Filled with anguish, filled with emotion, filled with doubt. She later writes that for the first time in years, I have come to love the darkness, for I believe now that it is part of a very, very small part of Jesus. Jesus' darkness and pain on earth. And then she wrote, if I ever were to become a saint, I will surely be a saint of darkness. Psalm 10 says this, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? Sometimes you just don't feel like singing, you're a good, good father. Sometimes you don't feel like singing, great are you, Lord. And that's okay. In fact, Jesus himself prays a psalm of anguish on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very song that, that you heard sung in Hebrew would have been prayed in Aramaic by Jesus. We'll look more at that psalm in particular leading up to Easter. All of us tend to avoid pain. Sometimes through, when we avoid pain and we don't acknowledge it, it leads to greater suffering. In 1985, I lived um, in Leroy, Illinois, a couple hours south of Chicago. And in 1985, the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl. 
a touchdown was scored from the goal line by a 330-pound rookie defensive lineman named William the Refrigerator Perry. Uh, the fridge, okay? Uh, he was a colorful defensive lineman, and his nickname fit well because he was big and wide uh, and full of food. Uh, he had a friendly grin that won people over, and unfortunately for his grin, he apparently was afraid of the dentist. So he didn't go to the dentist for over 20 years. Even though his teeth and gums hurt terribly, and his teeth actually began falling out. Now, eventually, he lost half of his teeth. Some he pulled out himself, and he suffered chronic infection. He was suffering. Finally, as he neared the age of 45, he went to a dentist who had to pull out all of his remaining teeth, insert screws in his jaw, and implant new teeth, all of which would have cost him up to $60,000, but the fees were waived, apparently for the good publicity that it gave this dentist. With your teeth, with your life, when there is pain, you must acknowledge it. You don't sweep it under the rug. Pretend it's not there. Hiding or pretending it's not there will only lead to more pain. Acknowledging it and bringing it to God and others can actually lead to healing. Bring it to God. Psalm 13 says this. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? The phrase, how long, it's used throughout the Psalms. It's not a request for data concerning a timetable. Rather, it is a statement of impatient hope. How long is a statement of impatient hope? And this phrase has been a staple in the African-American preaching for, for awakening the audience with how long is like pouring gasoline on a fire. And the rhetorical question, how long, was famously taken up by Dr. Martin Luther King in a sermon he preached in Montgomery, Alabama, March 25th, 1965. He, he says this, how long, not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arm of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. How long? Not long, because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Dr. King's usage of how long is a clear example of the way in which lament itself is an act of fervent hope. The psalmist is experiencing absence, and he prays for nearness. The plea for presence is linked to the possibility of help. When you cry out, God, how long? Where are you? Your heart is inextricably linked to a plea for help. And God says, yes. Because in our moments of anguish and desperation, it's, it's then that the most vulnerable parts of our hearts are open before God. The experience of abandonment from God is not an uncommon one. 
not only my own life experiences, feelings of God abandoning me, God not being anywhere near me, but I've counseled countless people over the past 17 years, and this sense of abandonment from God comes up again and again. Voltaire, the the famous French philosopher and atheist, on his deathbed said this, I am abandoned by God and man. Now, we're not surprised to hear that from Voltaire. But if that were to happen right after church or in a Christian Bible study or from the pulpit, we'd be wondering if that person's even a Christian. It's okay for an atheist to experience the abandonment of God, but it's not so good. It's not so okay for us to be honest. This is one of the reasons that Christians often won't talk to other Christians about their questions and problems, because they fear judgment from them. We must rid ourselves from judgment and replace that with love. We all have seasons of abandonment. Okay, I'll I'll get through it. It's momentary. But the phrase, how long, changes that. How long is when the short-term experience becomes a long-term pattern? That's when we cry out with, how long, O Lord? How long? You begin to wonder, will God be silent forever? Andrew Fuller writes this, it's not under the sharpest, but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. It's not during the, the sharpest, the hardest, it's the longest trials that take its toll on the depths of our souls. He continues, when Job was accosted with evil tidings in quick succession, He bore it with becoming fortitude, but when he could see no end to his troubles, he sunk under them. When it seems like there's no way out, how long, O Lord? Here's a few ways how long happens in our own lives. It happens in our family relationships. It may be that happiness of the early days of your marriage has been replaced by the stress of work and trying to work out personality differences between you and your spouse. The days of when your hands touched, there was electricity and fireworks and warm tinglys and warm fuzzies all over. Those are long gone and they've been replaced with, again? You may be wondering if God has ceased to bless your marriage. Or it could be with your children. You remember in the early days of raising them, it was much easier. Your family had so many good times together. But now one or more of your children is antagonistic or rebellious, and everyone else in the family suffers under that inevitable strain. Nobody has fun anymore. Has God forgotten? Have the blessings of God been taken away forever? How long, O Lord? Maybe it happens at work in the early days of your business. You've seen that there was such rapid progress. It was fun. It was exciting. It was life-giving. Business was booming, but things have leveled off, and now you're stagnant. How long, O Lord? It can happen in ministry. Seasons where there's growth and it's exciting and there's life. And then you just go into this lull of like bologna sandwich Sundays and it's just all, how long, oh Lord? And it could happen in our spiritual lives. Uh, uh, Remember when, when, when growth was so easy and it just happened and you were excited to read and study? You were excited to go to church? But for many, many months, many, maybe even years, you've been in an ever-deepening slump. 
And the lack of blessing has been for so long that we begin to ask questions of, God, what are you punishing me for? Will, will you abandon me forever? I invite Noe and the band to come up. And we'll close with a song. This is what I'm trying to say. This is the last point in your notes. Lament, anguish, and honesty in prayer are necessary parts of the spiritual life. It's, it's actually a part of our spirituality, not a cancer to it. And for those of us who see that honesty, that, that ripping our heart open before God and saying, God, help me. And, and, and we've held back that because of religious propriety and, and to be pious. That's hurting you. I remember in 1995, uh, I wasn't really a Christian. I mean, I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. I was 15 years old, and I got a phone call at my buddy Jeff Swisher's house that a friend of mine had taken her life. And I had no lens for how to deal with this. I had no filter before God. And I remember walking home, running out into the five-acre pasture that my parents had in their backyard, away from everybody else, falling, collapsing on my knees, saying, God, why? How could you? How could a good, loving God allow this to happen? And I cussed, and I yelled, and I opened my heart as much as I could saying, God, where are you in the midst of this? And it was through that crazy, difficult, horrendous suffering that so many dealt with where I became a Christian. God wasn't causing that. God didn't cause that to happen. But what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And for those of you who seem like you're in hopeless situations right now, and that kid just won't turn it around, that that fight just keeps happening, that you just can't get out of all these bills that just keep surmounting on your kitchen table, it's in the midst of those times God is still present. And what the enemy means for evil, what the enemy wants to do with that stack of bills is to put you in despair and to put cuffs on you. And you can't move, and you can't breathe, and you can't live fully life. And you are consumed with that. And God says, no, I've got you. Live your life for me. Live your life to the fullest. I don't know what your circumstance is, but I do know this. The first and maybe most important and maybe greatest step towards resolving whatever circumstance it is, is to just be honest with God in prayer. Don't censor him. Lay it all before the king of kings. He can handle it. He's big enough. He loves you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we do that. And even God, may this song be our prayer for that. May, may this song in this next four minutes be an opening of our hearts to you that we have yet to show the light of day. We've kept it inside 
these questions, these doubts, these worries, these accusations, these complaints. And so God, we want to declare that we need you. Sometimes the most powerful prayer we can pray is in desperation just saying help. It's all we can voice. Help. You get it, God. You get it. You know what we're going through. And so, God, we do that together as a community. Help. How long, oh Lord? How long must we deal with this situation, deal with that person? How long will our prayers be unanswered? How long, oh Lord? And this is our prayer for impatient hope. We trust you in the midst of this, God. Lord, we need you. God, I believe, help me with my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare that we need the Lord? We need him. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart.